All right. Well, good morning. Good to see everybody today. Thankful to be back together to think about uh, about parenting some more. Um, any prayer requests this morning before we pray and begin? Philip said no baby yet, so keep praying for the single mom who's been living with them, who's due yesterday or something like that. Anything else? All right, well let's pray and we'll jump in. Father, thank you so much for the time we can spend together today. Thank you for each of these uh, parents who are here for their desire to be faithful in the role that you have given them as parents. And uh, we're just thankful for your word that instructs us and gives us wisdom. Lord, not all the specific details that we might want, but the the principles and and guidance that we need to live in a way that honors you. And uh, we just pray that you would give us teachable hearts, help us to uh, be parents who love you above all else, who are eager to have your word shape our our hearts and, and our interactions with our kids. And we pray that you would uh, use us to accomplish your purposes in their lives that they might know and love you. We thank you for our time together today and um, we do uh, just continue to pray for uh, this mother who's been with the Grays that you would uh, just work in your time for the delivery of a healthy baby and uh, that you would just encourage her and give her wisdom and insight as she considers the future as well. We just thank you for this time and we entrust it to you in Christ's name, amen. Well, anybody want to share a way that your perspective on parenting has been maybe a little different, hopefully a little better, uh, over the last week or two? Anything you've been thinking about as a parent a little differently? Yeah, I think we're all recognized that a lot of times, you know, we, we probably sin more than our kids do and our response to our kids sin, and it's not, not necessarily helpful being, being God, having God's heart and displaying that. Well, we want to continue today to think a little more about the practical side of discipline and uh, particularly shifting from a a little more focus on the big picture of discipline to more of corrective discipline, although we'll still uh, think through some of those things together. We we started our time last week in Ephesians 6, and we're reminded that God's job description for us is relatively simple as parents when it comes to the practical outworking of what we should be doing as parents. That we should be, it says, bringing up our children in the discipline or training and instruction of the Lord. Those two categories should be reverberating in our minds as we interact with our kids. We're training and disciplining them, we are instructing them. And we began to look at the the scriptural teaching about discipline and uh, recognizing that it's not just when our kids do something wrong and we correct them, although it includes that, but it's the broader training as well that we want to bring to bear on their life as God does with his children. And, and so it's, it's both corrective and formative. It's, it's intentional to say, where do we wanna see our kids in terms of their character and their, uh, the, the way that they are shaped to respond to the Lord and how do we help them to get there? And as we do that, a number of things you guys already mentioned, our discipline must first be shaped by the nature of our kids, that they're made in God's image. And so that affects the fact that, that we're gonna treat them with respect and dignity, that we value them, that discipline is not a means to humiliate them. 
uh, it's it's uh, because we we care about them and because we love the Lord. They will exist for all of eternity. It matters, you know, that contrast between our kids and our dog. You know, if your dog is undisciplined, eh, you know, eventually maybe you get another one and, and try again. You know, kids, not so much. It's an eternal commitment. <laughs> it's an eternal impact that comes as a result of that. And our kids are are sinners, so they they need us to engage with them in like uh, Mike said a, a rescue mission. That foolishness, as Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Or Proverbs twenty three. Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. And if we, if we love our kids and they fall in a swimming pool and they're going down, what's our reaction going to be? Well, we're going to jump in and we're going to rescue them. And so it is with, with discipline. It's easy maybe to say, ah, this is not convenient for me. But it's like our kids are in a precarious position and we need to engage in the biblical manner. We saw secondly last week, uh, the majority of our time, that our discipline must be shaped by God's discipline of his children. Looking at Hebrews 12 and Deuteronomy 8. And, and seeing that God as a loving, authoritative father disciplines his children for their good. And, and so we looked at things like God's relationship to his children. He is both a loving father and he demonstrates that in, in a variety of ways, not simply through his discipline, uh, but he is also an authority. And we wanna be those things to our kids. We wanna be loving and caring and providing for them while also being an authority. We saw who is disciplined by God, that he disciplines every one of his children whom he loves. The, one of the, the demonstrations that one is truly God's child, not an illegitimate child, is the fact that he disciplines them. And, and we saw why does he do that? And, and it's a, a forward-looking looking perspective. He's doing it for their good and maturity as preparation for the future, that, that we might share in the inheritance that he has prepared for us, ultimately for his glory. We saw as well the specific goals of God's discipline. In Deuteronomy 8, really an emphasis on the, the aspect of obedience and humility that, that his children would, would believe that he is God and the rightful authority and submit to him and, and depend on him. And Hebrews 12, that, that we would be like him, that we would share in his holiness. And again, I think if you were to, to say, this is what I want for my kids, you know, digging down a little bit from the fact that we want him to know Christ and to, to, to love him. What is the character that we want? It's that submissiveness to the Lord and a humble heart that is eager to be like Christ, either eager to be holy in every, every sense. And what are the means of God's discipline? How does he discipline? Through teaching and instruction, through rules and consequences and rewards, through circumstances that shape and develop and test character, and even through what he chooses to provide and, and at times to withhold. And, and as he does that, he is always patient and, and consistent, not meaning that he treats everyone exactly the same, but his character and his expectations are consistent and he is intentional in what he is doing. And so we want to be like that. We want to think, you know, what is, what's our relationship with our children and how does that reflect God's relationship with us? What are the characteristics of God that we need to cultivate in ourselves so that we can rightly interact with and discipline our kids and, and to think what are we preparing our children for? You know, 
there's the sense in which it's, it's that time when they leave our home and it's like, woo, you know, they can function. They will probably brush their teeth without us telling them, uh, you know, but there's a bigger preparation for, for life in this world, but for eternity as well. We want them to, uh, to ultimately be conformed to the image of Christ and, and our specific goals in light of that. You know, again, some of that can be practical and thinking through how we prepare them for life, but what are the issues of character and other things that we see that, that we really need to be focusing on with our children? And, and then how do we do that? What can we do to train and discipline them to that end? And then we, we conclude our time just beginning to look at how our discipline must be shaped by the warnings and exhortations of Scripture. We, we see some specific instruction about discipline as parents in scripture. Specific things that God says, okay, as you discipline, this is what you need to be thinking about. These are things you need to be careful of or you need to be careful to do. And we saw the first of those, don't neglect discipline when your children are young. Proverbs says to discipline your children while there is hope. That we wanna be faithful when our children are young to be engaged in in discipline with them you know things that are cute when they're four are not so cute when they're 14 but that ship has sailed in in many senses of that word and so it's hard to or or it's hard to uh um, to go back and and reshape things that have been sealed in them again that doesn't mean there's not hope that god isn't gracious and that all of us don't look back and say man i wish we knew today uh, you know, what, what we know now, I wish we knew that uh, five years ago or whatever. God is faithful and, and patient and kind, but we want to be faithful when our children are young. We also want to not discipline in a way that provokes our children to anger. We don't want to be excessive or unreasonable or harsh or selfish in our, our authority or constantly nagging or humiliating our children or, or demonstrating just a, an arbitrariness, a lack of consistency. We want to be uh, faithful so that our discipline is not provoking our kids to anger. Then today I want us to begin by focusing on a third exhortation and warning of Scripture, which is, is this. We'll put it this way. We want to recognize that the rod is the primary means that God has given you to discipline your children. Or, or um, we might broaden that a little bit. A primary means, especially when our kids are young. And I I intentionally use that word primary, not only. Uh, As you read the scriptures, you will see this emphasis on using the rod as discipline. And certainly there's a, that can be metaphorical. It can be something that includes uh, a broader perspective on discipline. You see things like the the rod of God's wrath and, and it's referring generally to the idea of discipline. And so certainly that's true. But there's a reason that is the metaphor for discipline, and that is a specific way that the scriptures speak of discipline. Just listen to these, these verses. Proverbs 29, 15, a lot of, most of these are in, in the uh, book of Proverbs if you wanna turn there and follow along. Proverbs 29, 15 says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. The rod and reproof, that discipline and, and, and instruction that give wisdom. A child who is not disciplined, though, brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 13, 24, 
says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent or seeks them early to discipline them. It's that idea that uh, if we genuinely love our children, we will be committed to discipline them. And he says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Proverbs 10, 13 says, on the lips of the discerning, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks understanding. Proverbs 26, 3, a whip is for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14, do not hold black discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, clearly physical discipline, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Or Proverbs 22, 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Now certainly when we read these verses and when we see the emphasis Proverbs has on on the rod, on physical discipline, which we'll talk about in a moment, uh, it, it is easy in our minds to have all kinds of images conjured up. You know, maybe for you, that's things that were done to you in, in your past that would not fit into the category of biblical discipline. Maybe it was an angry parent or other authority who is, is physically harming you. Or maybe that's the picture that comes to your mind. That's not, that's not the idea. We, we are disciplining in a way that is consistent with the things we've already talked about. That, that values that child as an image bearer of God that is not seeking to harm or to, uh, to humiliate them, but to help them. And yet the scriptures say a primary means for that is the use of the rod. I appreciate Ted Tripp's definition of this. He describes this, the, the rod this way. He says, the rod is a parent in faith toward God and faithfulness toward his or her children undertaking the responsibility of careful, timely, measured, and controlled use of physical punishment to underscore the importance of obeying God, thus rescuing the child from continuing in his foolishness until death. That's, that's the rod. It's, it's not this parent who's out of control beating their child. It's the careful, measured use of physical discipline with the goal of rescuing our children. Now we're gonna, we're gonna unpack this a bit. So if you have, have thoughts initially that you're like, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? Uh, so, uh, hold on to those and, and hopefully we will address those as we work through some of this. Um, but I, I wanna just think through with you the, the, um, the wisdom that scripture gives us in this way and think about some of the practical side in, in light of our culture's perspective and, and a variety of things that come with that. You know, one question I would, I would start with is, you know, when, when you read these verses and you see this emphasis on the rod and discipline and, and even verses that are, are clear, you know, you strike him with the rod, what, why would you say that people don't use that type of discipline or are, are unwilling to use the rod of discipline? What would be some, and, and maybe this is things in your own heart or head or things that you think as you interact with others. You know, I think we'd hear things like, well, I love them too much. <laughs> you know, I, I just love my child too much to, to spank them t in that way. You know, that's a, a tempting way to think. <laughs> it, it doesn't fit with exactly what the scriptures say, which says, if you love your child, you will, you will discipline them. Some say it doesn't, it doesn't work. 
Well, that's, that's often, you know, uh, a, a statement for any category of discipline. Like, I tried this once or twice, and it hasn't borne fruit in the way that I expect. I would just remind you that discipline is a long time, long-term perspective. This is not something where it's like, oh, I disciplined you today, and you're not perfect tomorrow, so I will stop disciplining you now. No, they're not going to be perfect tomorrow. This is a long-term, long road that we are on. Sometimes... Discipline does not bear the fruit that God intends because we are not consistent or we're not uh, as careful in the, in the use of that discipline. So we may need to step back and say, well, why is this not being as effective as, as it could be? Are there things about it? But discipline does not always lead to immediate change. Some would say that physical discipline teaches people to hit and, and hopefully what we are doing in physical discipline is the furthest thing. It's physical, yes, but it's the furthest thing from what we would view as hitting someone, which is usually done in reaction to something that we have been provoked with no thought or care, just in response with the intent of hurting someone. It, it shouldn't be that. You know, or maybe we think it's just never the right time or, or my child doesn't seem to respond to that. Well, why this as opposed to other forms of discipline? Why does scripture emphasize this? Now, we don't get all the answers that we would love in the scriptures. There's a sense in which we spank in faith. We discipline in faith. Because God says, this is what he has called us to. And we don't have to understand why to obey God in any aspect of life. When God says it, that's enough for us. But I do think there's a, a real sense in which Physical discipline provides some very clear benefits as opposed to other methods of discipline, at least as, as we have thought about it and as we have seen it played out in our life, particularly when our children are young. I want you to think with me. If you have young children, and by young, let's take kind of like eight and under, and you want to discipline them, what are the options for how you can do that in a corrective sense? consequences for things they have done wrong. One category obviously is physical discipline. What other options are there? Time out, time out. yep. That's a very common one. You're gonna have a time out. What does that typically look like? Well, it's usually you need to go sit somewhere for a season and you're not gonna be able to do something. Other options. Okay, withholding something, food or other things temporarily or maybe something that they would enjoy kind of food. Other things? Yeah, taking something away. So for a, a season of time, maybe you can't play with a certain thing or watch a certain thing. Uh, again, there can be times for creativity in our discipline. Don't hear me saying that you could never use these things. But most of those types of discipline have two things involved in them. Um, one is they extend discipline for a longer period of time. So if you withhold something for a season of time, that is extending the time of consequence for longer than, than uh, just that, that immediate moment. What I think that tends to do is it delays the reconciliation of relationship in, in our interactions with our child. So say you say, okay, you 
You did not um, obey when I asked you to do this, so you do not get to watch TV for 30 minutes. Well, now they disobey again. Now that 30 minutes is an hour. They disobey again. That 30 minutes is two hours. And so at some point, you know, what's, what's going on in that child's heart? Well, they're, they're kind of upset that they don't get to watch TV. And you may be thinking, I really wanted to watch TV <laughs> because I need some of them to do something that like, like this is a helpful thing and I've just withheld something that now and am I going to fight this battle through to the end or am I gonna give in? Um, and so it extends that and, and sometimes it requires obedience on the part of the child to accept the discipline in order for that discipline to hold. So if you say, hey, sit here for five minutes and you walk away and three minutes later, here they come walking by and you're like, oh man, like, like now you have to sit there. Well, let's see, you, you just demonstrated you won't sit there for five minutes, so what do I do now? You're, you gotta sit there for 10 minutes, but you only made it three when it was five, so this is not gonna go well. So, so again, I, there are times where those things can be effective and fruitful and can be a part of our discipline, um, but I think generally, they, they, especially if our child is not responsive, they drag out that, that time of, of discipline, which can lead to bitterness. You know, as your kids get older, it's like, okay, you're grounded from this for an hour, and then it's a day, and then it's a week, and then it's a month, and then it's like, you're not using your phone until you graduate from college. You know, it's like, you can only go so far on those things. We can do that with our younger children if we are not careful. The other thing that I think um, is, is related to this, sometimes our kids don't have the memory to understand why I'm still being disciplined for something that I did a while back and, and just the connection between the discipline and, and the reason for the discipline can get a little muddied, especially when they are younger. And sometimes they just don't care. You know, you say, go sit on your bed. And it's like, sweet, I cannot unload the dishwasher while sitting on my bed. And so this is fine. I'm happy to be here all day. Um, physical discipline is a beautiful thing. It is quick in a sense. It's not as quick as we probably think it is. It, there is a clear resolution and reconciliation. And while not equally painful to every child, it is something that is painful for all children. I think God is not testing us and saying, hey, I'm gonna describe a form of discipline that should, um, in your mind, be the farthest thing from what is good, just to see, are you going to do it? Are you gonna trust me? Like, it's this magic thing. If you do this, you know, there's no good reason why it works, but it works because I said it works. That's not the case. God is wise, he made us, he knows what's best, and he says, this is a helpful, key component of discipline. Again, does that mean you can never use other forms of discipline? No, God uses variety, particularly we'll talk in a moment, as your kids age, there becomes more opportunities, their memory is better, their ability to understand connections is better, you trying to, to, to take on specific things that are, that are very um, much a focus of their heart, you can do that in, in various forms of discipline. But I would encourage you to think before you threaten. You ever been there as a parent? If you don't stop, I'm going to, and something comes out and you're like, whoa, that was dumb. Like, I just said like, you know, 
I'm gonna, if you don't do that, I'm gonna throw all your, uh, all your clothes into the garbage if you don't clean up your room. And you're like, oh, nuts, like, now what do I do? You know, so do be careful that you don't threaten without thinking. You know, it shouldn't be that, you know, just the random idea that comes into our head, that must be the Spirit's leading and this is what I'm gonna do. No, usually that is the flesh. That is us being upset and us just scrambling or us being desperate, us not having thought ahead of time about how we're gonna handle the things that are going on with our kids and we're at wit's end and so we just say, ah, this is what we're gonna do. Be sure to think through the, the forms of discipline and consequences that we use to, to say, are these things that are gonna have long-term implications in our relationship with our child? Is this something, is this communicating what I really wanna communicate? Are there other options? Is there somebody I should run this by to see what they think? Maybe that's just your spouse. Hey, this is what I'm thinking is appropriate. What do you think? Maybe it's a friend who is unbiased and was not in the heat of the moment to say, hey, is this a reasonable thing? So when should you use or I use the rod of discipline or other forms of consequences? Well, I think we, we have to recognize that it's relatively simple. Discipline that is corrective comes when our children do not obey. You know, we sometimes can, can muddy the waters in our minds by having all sorts of expectations for our children many of which are good expectations, many of which are, um, are things that you legitimately desire for your children. But especially when your children are young, you really need to be focused on one thing, which is their obedience of you. Why do I say that? Well, partially because that's the one thing children are told to do, which is to obey their parents. Ephesians 6, what does God say to kids? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And ultimately there's an attitude of honor and respect that should come with that as well. So it's that attitude towards parents of obedience and honor that leads to them doing what you have asked them to do. You see, it's that obedience that lets you train them in all the other areas of life. You think about it. What are some things you want your kid to learn? Just practically, I, mean, I mentioned two, uh, or one earlier, like brushing their teeth, personal hygiene. You want your child to learn that you should regularly clean yourself uh, for the good of, of your own body and the good of those around you. Well, if your child does not obey you, how can you train them in that? Well, you can tell them, hey, go brush your teeth, and they can say no, and you can battle them. But if, if they are under your authority, you now have the capacity to train them in a whole host of ways that are for their good. But if they are not under your authority, if they are bucking against that, you lose the capacity to train your children. And really, ultimately, to instruct your children because they're not gonna be under your authority receiving the instruction that you give. That's why early on, especially when our kids are young, this is the focus. Will my child do what I am telling them to do? Are they obeying, and Ted Tripp defines it this way, again, helpfully, I think, uh, without challenge, without excuse, without delay. You, you know the difference between obedience and sort of going through the motions to do enough to not get disciplined. You know, go do this. Oh, mom, do I have to do this? You, well, you didn't ask her to do that. Why didn't you ask her? And, and slowly, finally, eventually kind of do. That's not obedience. 
It doesn't mean we can't remind them, we can't help them, but we do train our kids at what level we expect obedience, right? Your kids may know, you know, we'll say it once, hey, go do this. And then we'll, we'll say it again, slightly louder, I said to go do this. And then we'll say, did you not hear me? Go do this. And then you raise your voice, whichever your child's name, I won't use one of my children's names. Um, you know, Bethany, go do this. And then she knows, okay, dad's serious, I'm going. You know, and it's like we've just trained them that, well, you actually get four and a half warnings before you really need to obey, and now we're serious. You might as well, for the sake of your child and to train them in right thinking, you might as well expect obedience first. When I speak to you in a normal tone of voice, the first time telling you to do something, the expectation is that you will respond. Now, I'm, I do need to make sure that you hear me, but I expect, we expect God expects obedience the first time. Again, that's not to say that you can't help them in this. So you ask them a question or ask them to do something, they don't do it, doesn't mean you fly into discipline mode. You may ask them a question like, are you choosing to obey right now? Where they have the chance to say, ooh, no I'm not, I need to obey, I'm gonna go obey. Or you may say, what will happen if you choose not to obey, to help them think about those things, training them to ultimately have those conversations in their head to battle for what they know is right. If your kids are particularly young, you may walk over and say, I said not to touch this, and take their hand and help them to walk away to obey, and then when they run back and touch it again, then you engage saying, oh, you clearly did not do what you were asked. So we use discipline, corrective discipline, for obedience. Doesn't mean that we can't have like expectations that are built over time, such that when they do something, they are clearly being disobedient, but it is most helpful for us to be proactive in, in giving them clear commands and instructions. Yes, Jamie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'll be, yeah, yep. And you think about what, what are we training them for? Are we training them, them just to be this military home where it's like, yes, we function and I blow a whistle and you come and it's beautiful. No, we're not training them for that. We're training them to respond to God for the rest of their life. And how do we want them to respond to God? Begrudgingly, no, we want them to respond to God when God commands we embrace that command and with joy we, we obey. That's, that's why we are are doing this. So when, when should I not use discipline, the rod of discipline? When should I not discipline my kids correctively? Well, when we are angry or frustrated. If we cannot discipline them appropriately, do not discipline them. Now, don't use that as an excuse to say, yeah, I can never do that, so I've never disciplined my kids. No, it might mean that we have to sh cultivate our own heart so that we can get to the point where we are disciplining consistently as we ought to. Don't use that as, as, as an excuse, but do have that as like the, the yellow light on your way to discipline that, oh, check my own heart first. If I'm angry, if this is about me, I should not be disciplining you until I get to the point where this is not about me and what you've done to me, this is about God and me being on a rescue mission to help you relate rightly to God. If I can't say that, 
at least, um, and there still may be that wrestle in my heart, but if I am not self-controlled enough to interact out of that motivation, I'm probably going to sin in discipline, and I'm gonna teach my children something other than what I intend to. So do not discipline when we are angry, even when it would otherwise be appropriate. First, collect your own heart and confess your own sin, and then you may engage in discipline. Now, if that takes you a long time, you may have lost the opportunity for that discipline. You know, if that's like a six hour process for you, you may not be circling back. But you do need to grow in that so that it's not always that and you can engage in a way that's appropriate. Don't, don't discipline, secondly, for instances of childishness. Kids are kids. We, we should ask ourselves, was this the foolishness that Proverbs says is bound up in my child's heart? which that is the foolishness that essentially says in Proverbs, we don't have time to unpack it fully, that okay, there's a God and I would rather be God than submit to the God who's there. So I wanna do what I wanna do and that shows up in how I think of God and all the authorities under him. That is biblical foolishness that needs to be disciplined out of our children's heart. Childishness, which is kids are kids, <laughs> is not. And so we have to be asking ourselves, okay, is my own heart right? Is this about me or is this about God? And is this just childishness or is this foolishness? Now, if it's childishness that you have commanded them to stop doing, then it becomes what? Foolishness. So if they're jumping on something, doing something stupid, and you say stop, and they don't, you don't say, well, they're just kids being kids. No, they're being foolishly disobedient, but they need you to train them to not be childish over the long term. A lot of times this shows up in things like, like accidents or things that uh, they do unintentionally, but are just not mature in their thinking. So, you know, if your kid thinks that spilling their milk is the worst thing that can ever, they can ever do because of how you react when they do it, you're teaching them something that is wrong. That's not the worst thing they can have. You know, kids do stuff like walk in the house with mud on their shoes without looking and it drives us crazy. Or sometimes we do the same thing and then we realize, yeah, it just kind of does happen. But it drives me crazy when you do it. And so they walk in and they make a mess. Well, if you had told that child when he walked in that door, hey, you need to take your shoes off, it's now disobedience. But if you did not, and they just did something that was, that was foolish in the sense of, of childishness, well, now it's like, okay, I need to help train you in this. Now, if you've told them, and if your kid's old enough to remember, and you have trained them over time that this is what you do, and they are disregarding your, your uh, authority by doing that, okay, you don't have to have told them every time. But when your kids are young, it's time after time after time of direct commands to help clarify is discipline appropriate. Don't use discipline also for inability or lack of understanding. You know, if you tell your two-year-old, go make your bed and they don't, it's probably not that they're disobedient, it's probably that they are incapable or they are, don't understand. And so we have to be asking ourselves, is what I am telling you to do something that you understand and have the ability to do? I was talking with a couple of uh, parents uh, previously uh, or prior to class about how some kids need more specific instruction than others. So like if you tell some kids, hey, go clean your room, 
they may know exactly what you mean by that, and they are very capable of going through the steps of cleaning their room. Some kids, they go into their room, they start something, and they're like off in another world, and it's not necessarily an intentional act of disobedience. You may need to tell them, hey, go pick up your Legos, and then go pick up your clothes, and put them in the dirty clothes, and then go pick up your shoes, and then go make, up, make your bed, and help them along the way to know this is what obedience looks like in this area. So don't use the rod of discipline if you're angry or frustrated, or if it's just a childish thing, or an accident, or your child doesn't have the capacity or understanding to obey. Yes, but there are plenty of times where the issue is not those things, where the issue is disobedience. They are not submitting themselves to you and therefore they are not submitting themselves to God. They are not under his authority. So how do we discipline? How should I use the rod, physical discipline? I just wanna walk through, kind of a, a, put in there a suggested model of a wise gospel-centered spanking. The, the scriptures don't lay all this out for us. They give us principles to apply, and I wanna share kind of a, uh, what I think is a helpful model for you. The first step, as we just talked about, is to consider if discipline is needed and can be appropriately administered. Is this an issue of disobedience, where I am going to administer discipline, and can it be appropriately administered? Thinking about um, the, the venue that you're in, all of those kinds of things may weigh into this. So asking yourself questions like, was there a clear act of disobedience? If you can't really pinpoint it, don't discipline your kids. Am I angry? Am I most offended at how their sin affected me or how it offends God? Am I able to administer discipline without humiliation in the particular context that we are in, or what do I need to do to be able to do that? Am I prepared to direct them to the hope of the gospel? Am I prepared to forgive them if their sin was against me? Those are the things that we have to train ourselves as we are pursuing discipline to, to think through in our minds. Now, you may need to start with a little checklist and say, okay, this is where I'm, where I'm going in my mind. And, and yes, I, I'm ready to do this. This may be foreign to you. You may have never thought about these things as you were engaging in discipline. Maybe they're just kind of intuitive in, your, in your, your, your heart, but not real intentional in your thinking. And again, there's other good things that we could think through. But these are the kinds of things we need to ask ourselves to consider if discipline is needed and can be appropriately administered. Then we need to pick an instrument. If we're going to use physical discipline for our children as Proverbs encourages us, we need to think about what are we gonna use for that. We want something that stings real bad without bruising or causing physical harm. I'll, I would make a few suggestions. We have found those little, you know those little plastic paddle things that you have a ball that ding, 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 ding. Uh, those actually work pretty well uh, if you take the ball off and the little staple thing. Um, they're flexible, you want flexibility, but, not, um, but, but something that is still firm. If it's not flexible, it will likely cause harm that endures for them. If it's a little flexible, you get that perfect sting, but not long-term harm. You know, that's, uh, you know, uh, we've used 
Uh, fish tank tubing when our kids were young, flexible. Uh, you can, it's cheap, you can make lots of them, have them all over the place uh, if you need them. I mean, not, we'll talk more about that, sorry. Um, I would say it's, it's probably best not to use your, your hand. The reason I would say that is because your hand is always with you. If you have an instrument, you at least have the time of going to get that instrument and go to a location where you have a little bit of time to think and ask yourself those initial questions. And the Bible doesn't say don't, but it does say rod. It doesn't say the hand of discipline. And so I think being careful in those ways. We need to pick a location. Why? Well, we want to be private. This is not for public humiliation. We want to give ourselves and our child the opportunity to collect our thoughts as we are, are moving towards discipline. For us, this was often our downstairs half bathroom where we had, uh, uh, it was private, but um, in, a, uh, in a location that was somewhat centrally located and we could store our little tool in the drawer in there um, and uh, we, that was where we could go and visit with our children. Once we are there, we've determined it's good to be there, we need to be there disciplining our children, we have our instrument, we have our location, we need to point out the clear issue of disobedience and the consequences. It can be good to ask them, do you know why, why we're here? Do you want them thinking? You want to use their conscience, we'll talk a little more about that we want them to be thinking, do you know why you're here? Well, because I, I disobeyed. I did not do what you asked me to do. Yes, what did daddy ask you to do? And what did you do? Help them see that. Communicate to them how many spankings they're gonna receive, why? Well, it shows that one, we are intentional in the discipline that we're giving and it shows that we're under control. I am not just going to spank you until I feel better. I'm gonna spank you for an intentional uh, uh, reason. Ultimately, we want to train them to, to receive that spanking as a discipline, as a demonstration of their obedience and contrition. You know, as, assume the position. You need to be willing to receive discipline. Proverbs 15.5 says, a fool rejects his father's discipline, but he regards reproof as sensible. Proverbs 15.10, grievous punishment is for him who forsakes his way. He who hates reproof will die. Part of our training of our kids is that it is good to receive correction and discipline. Now, does that mean they're going to be like, woohoo, sign me up. What do I need to do to get another SWAT, dad? I'd love it. No, that, not that. But we do want to train them that, that receiving discipline is both a sign of repentance, accepting the consequences for your sin, and it is a sign of wisdom that I want to learn and grow. Now, what if they don't? Well, for our children, especially when they are, are young and you can, you can require them to, to receive discipline because you are bigger and stronger than them, uh, we would, would start training them young that if you receive the discipline, you might get two swats. If you do not receive the discipline, you might get three or four swats. You're going, there's going to be additional consequences, not simply from the disobedience, but for your reaction to and response to the discipline. And then we administer the discipline. You know, younger children have this beautiful fat back part of their leg that God intended for this purpose, I think. Um, no. If you're using the right instrument, you will likely 
um, not necessarily have to go all the way to, to bare skin, although uh, there may be times where that is helpful. Your goal is to inflict pain, not injury. And, and I would suggest that you take your instrument and you have uh, uh, your leg right here. Take your instrument and swatch your leg the way that you intend to swatch your child and you should feel how it feels. And if you swatch your leg and you can't even tell, then you need to figure out a new instrument or you need to, uh, to, to uh, practically work through the logistics of that. If you swatch yourself on the leg and you have a bruise, you need to adjust and, and uh, compensate for those things and figure out a new plan. But if you swatch yourself on your leg and you're like, ooh, that stung, and then in about 20 seconds, you're like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, that's what you are, are going for. So administer the discipline in a controlled manner and then converse with them. Use scripture whenever possible. We'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, it's very helpful to have, have memorized scripture because this is, this is conversation that you want flowing out of you. You want to encourage them to respond rightly. You want to encourage forgiveness, so train them that you know, the right response of repentance is to seek forgiveness. Daddy, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, I'd love to forgive you. You know, do you know why you did that? Why you disobeyed? Maybe they do, maybe they don't. Yes, I'm a, I'm a sinner. That's right, We're, we are sinners, you and I, and, and that's why we need Christ. That's why God sent his son, because we rebel against him. That's why daddy needs Christ and why you need Christ. We wanna direct our children to the gospel may pray with them, asking for God's forgiveness, asking for help to grow, thanking God for his wisdom. And then if they have sinned in a way that is affecting others, we want to train them to go and make it right or, or ultimately, uh, if, if possible, to obey. So if, they, if you ask them to go clean something, pick something up and they said no, and you go discipline them, coming out of that discipline, you want them to go pick that up because you are training them to obey. Now there are times where your child will come out of discipline and their heart will still be foolish and it will be hard and you have to decide how far are we going in this. Um, with, with some of our children, you know, we needed to help them patiently come to the right attitude and perspective. So instead of just, you know, discipline, disobey, discipline, disobey, discipline, disobey, over and over and over and over and over and over and over. It's like we might need to elongate that process of, you know, sitting with you for a while and, and, and talking with you or reading to you or singing with you so that we are trying to help you get to a place where you will respond rightly. Or there may be times where we say, you know what, we're, we've disciplined you, I'm not gonna ask you to do this again because we're done with this battle today and I'm gonna live to fight another day. And we're gonna continue in that. And, yeah. Yeah, I don't think, I, I, right, I, I, don't, I don't know that we can always force them to um, or that we should always force them to go through the outward motions of reconciliation. But I think if there is something that they took from their sister, then you can force them to give that back or those kinds of things in that way. But it, it's a, and, and again, we wanna be training them to think rightly and to respond rightly. We don't wanna let them think that just outward, 
you know, conformity is appropriate. So that's where talking to them that this is the right attitude. It would be appropriate for you to go and, and, uh, and express this. Um, I think you can train them to go say the right things as long as you are helping them to see that that alone is not sufficient. So it would be right for you to go and apologize to your mother for how you just treated her. Um, and I want you to go have a conversation with her. And their heart may not be fully in it, but you're, you're training them in what that ought to look like. Um, but you're communicating to them that your heart needs to be, needs to be right. And ultimately, that's going to change. You're, you're going to see more of their heart as they get older. So like if you tell your three-year-old, go say you're sorry, they're learning it's right for me to go say I'm sorry. Now when they're eight, you're training them that, hey, just saying you're sorry, <laughs> that's not okay. Like your, your heart is not in this, and so that's not obedience to the Lord in this way. So you, you still wanna train them. If you wait until their heart is right to say, okay, now you're gonna do the stuff that you should do, um, you may never get to train them in, here's what this ought to look like. But, but we definitely wanna be careful in those ways. Um, and then we wanna be reconciled in our relationship. We wanna hug them, love them, walk out of there as though we are, uh, there is no longer any barrier between us. Yes, this is why our heart matters so much. If you discipline your child and you walk out and you're frustrated with them and embittered against them and you treat them in a different way for the rest of the day because of what they did, that's not demonstrating God's heart of reconciliation. You know, you, as your kids get older, obviously, Discipline is going to transition. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Um, and so there can be other forms of discipline, but we want to follow essentially the same model. We don't want to just um, give consequences. We want to be thoughtful in how we administer those things. So it may be that our children are at an age or we are at a at a, at a venue where it's not appropriate to administer physical discipline, but this similar process is something that we want to think through and we want to, pa uh, want to practice. Obviously, training and discipline can also involve rewards and blessings. So it's not only the negative consequence for disobedience. There can be positive consequences for obedience. Um, but we do want to be uh, careful that, again, we're not just manipulating our kids to have proper outward behavior. But God did say there are blessings that come from obedience. One of the greatest blessings of obedience is ultimately earning their parents' trust and the additional responsibility that comes with that. So children who are growing in their obedience, you want to help them see this leads to uh, opportunities down the road that are uh, a blessing to you and a blessing to others. You know, that opportunity to stay home alone as your kids are getting to a certain age, you can start talking to them about, you know, your obedience and the fact that you are, are trustworthy and do what I ask means that at some point I may leave you by yourself. Uh, you know, if you start talking about that with your eight, nine-year-old, you're preparing them for what's coming down the road. Now, that may not happen for a long time, uh, but you are helping them to understand that there is wisdom and there are blessings that come from obedience. A fourth reality for us to consider is that our discipline must be shaped by the age and condition of your children. We've alluded to this a bit as we've gone. But we recognize that the goal is to transition from parental discipline to self-discipline. From us being the one correcting them to them being the one correcting their own heart. 
So the, the, rea- the, the goal of training is to get to where they are well trained. That doesn't mean that they are perfect, but it means that they are responsive to the, the issues in their own heart without us having to bring that to bear on them. So if your child disobeys and on their own they recognize it and they respond with repentance and, and confess that, you may choose to still have consequences for them, but you may choose not to because you're seeing the fruit of what you desire to see in that. Now if that's a pattern and they always disobey and then they come back to try to avoid consequences, there's gonna continue to be that. But we wanna transition to self-discipline. I want you to think about the idea of authority and influence as a parent. You see, you have uh, both of these things as a parent. You have authority, God-given authority over your children. Now, you can exercise that authority more directly and substantially when your children are young. So if you have a six month old and they say, I don't want to go with you to the grocery store, what can you do? Well, you shove them in their car seat, you haul them to the grocery store. (laughs) If you have a 16 year old and they say, I don't want to go to the grocery store with you, your options are more limited. You know, you could try that. Drag your 16-year-old to the grocery store, throw them in that cart, push them around the grocery store as they kick and scream, but it's not going to go well. And so at that point, your authority, while still before God is there, it is practically lessened as your children age. Because the goal is that they go from being ultimately or, or really entirely under your authority, you are doing all things and training them, to gradually they are no longer under your authority, they are simply under God's authority. Your influence, on the other hand, goes the other direction. Like if you try to reason with that six month old who doesn't want to go to the grocery store and you say it's really a good thing for us to go to the grocery store. I mean, that's where we get the the little puff things that you like to eat and we're almost out and if you want another puff thing, we got to go to the grocery store. What are they going to do? Ignore you and cry. Uh, But if you talk to that 16 year old and say, hey, this is, you know, we have a a party coming tomorrow and we're going to get all the stuff that we need and I want you to pick out the kind of cookies that we have. Oh, okay. I'm with you. You know, so that opportunity for influence grows. And so we have to recognize that. But typically, what we do is kind of backwards, frankly. We, we, we tend, when our kids are young, to want to be their friend and want them to, uh, to understand and engage with stuff. And then when we get older and they're not being wise, now we try to clamp down our authority and get them to do what we want them to do or what they should do. We need to recognize, no, it's actually the other way around. I don't need to influence my kid when they're young. I need to be the authority. So that when, I am old, when they are older, I will have that opportunity to influence them in a way that is helpful. So some of this shows up in things like how we train our children to make decisions. You know, we we train our children to make decisions by first, when they are young, making decisions for them. You know, we don't need to, to, if you ask your your two-year-old, hey, what do you want for breakfast? Do you want donuts or do you want eggs and bacon? You know, most kids will say, "Uh, sign me up for donuts. Well, every day we'll have donuts for breakfast. Well, that's not wise. That's not a good decision, but if we give our kids choices all the time, we are letting them make decisions that they are not equipped to make. If we make those decisions for them, they are learning to be under our authority and they are seeing good decision-making modeled for them. 
so that when we start giving more choices down the road and more opportunities, they have seen good decision-making model. They may still do their own thing, but they are learning how we make those decisions because we want ultimately to stop being the authority telling them what to do and give them the opportunity to make decisions under our influence. So recognize when your kids are young, it's more about authority than influence. And as your kids get older, those things ultimately change. So my daughter is 17. She's making decisions about her future. I have some authority left. (laughs) It's authority like I won't pay for certain things. So you can do something, but you gotta figure out how to pay for it. Um, Or you um, will not have your phone if you disobey me in this way or you do something that I won't. But even just life decisions. If she makes choices about what she wants to do, I I have some authority, but it's mostly influence. We can have long conversations about what's wise and helpful. Very different than when our children are, are young. So we want to have our discipline, not just corrective, but all of our training shaped by the age and and condition of our child. So it looks different at at different ages. Corrective discipline looks different at different ages. Obviously when our kids are infants, it's it's very limited. We're basically teaching them about no. So like you, you ask them to lay there and they start wiggling and you say no and you hold them and you put the diaper on them. You are training them that when I say something, it, matter, it should matter to you. And as they get to be toddlers, you begin to, uh, to more formally correct and discipline them. You may practice with them. You may take their hand and walk them away from the things you told them not to touch. And when they look at you with that look that says, I know what you're saying and I'm doing what I want, you start to formally discipline them. We, we are looking for all those things we talked about. Is this childish? Is this foolish? You say, if I do that, all I will do is discipline my child. Well, one of the, one of the best quotes that I, I have read related to this is from Stuart Scott in his book, The Faithful Parent. He says, often the parent must sacrifice time, energy, and personal desires to obey the Lord and discipline the little one while there is hope. You may well feel when your kids are young, like all I did today was discipline my children. And that may be a pretty accurate perspective. And I would just say to you, it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. And it is right. And you may say, if I try to talk to my kids like this, I'll, I'll just be like talking to kids all day about the issues in their heart. And that's exactly right. And it's worth it. Discipline your kids while there is hope. Now, dads who are maybe not around as much with the kids, how do we help in that process? Well, it means when we come home, we're not checked out and on break. It's like, okay, now I'm opportun- I have the opportunity to engage with my children in discipline. It means when you come home and maybe dinner's not ready like you expected it because your wife has been disciplining children, that instead of saying, why is dinner not ready? You say, oh, what can I do to help? So, so it's our perspective that helps uh, our, our wives to be able to do this and our assistance that allows this to happen. As it is worth the effort. It is worth spending a considerable amount of time being faithful to train our children when they are young. What about tantrums for little kids? You know, when they, when they start uh, throwing fits about things. You know, some would say it's a, 
It's primarily a reflection of a communication problem. They don't understand you or you can't understand them. And so there's this tantrum going on and it's really just them trying to communicate. Uh, I think they are trying to communicate. Um, I think that, that there's a bigger issue of the heart. And so again, I think typically we need to view this as, okay, this needs to be an act, uh, a matter of obedience. So I may tell you, you need to stop screaming. And if you choose not to stop screaming, I have, uh, I, I'm going to, uh, uh, work through the process of discipline with you because you need to learn that this is not an appropriate response when you don't get your way. There may be times when you uh, are, are in a situation uh, and you feel like it is best to just uh, to let them cry it out if you were and then come back and discipline them, that ignoring them is one of the most helpful things that you can do. You know, Proverbs 26, four and five says this, it says, don't answer fools according to their stupidity or folly, otherwise you will become like them. Answer fools according to their stupidity, otherwise they will become wise in their own eyes. And it's like, wait a minute. He says, sometimes fools, we should ignore them and don't engage with them. And sometimes fools, we should answer them because otherwise they're gonna to continue to be foolish. It's like, well, how is that helpful? Well, it just means that sometimes there's wisdom required to say what is most helpful right now in my interactions. But if it's just, I'm gonna ignore it and hope it goes away and never address it, that's not helpful. If it means I'm gonna ignore it for a few minutes and then I'm gonna come back and address it, so that you are learning that uh, this is not how you get mom's attention. Okay, so be careful and wise in, in, uh, in those things. Obviously be careful with spanking in public and, and be wise in when you choose to administer discipline. You might, if, if you're being consistent in the times that you are at home, it's okay if you miss a time or two in, in other contexts. Older preschool and elementary kids continuing to expect first time obedience. This is when we begin to, to be able to see more and focus more on their heart, on the attitudes that are coming out. You know, when the tone of voice matters. You know, when, when the, the manner in which they demonstrate respect as they are obeying matters. You know, when you can start seeing how how they opened the dishwasher when you told them to go open the dishwasher, you know, communicate something about their heart to be addressed. The manner in which they put that spoon into the drawer communicates something about their heart attitude and, and we may address those things. Really focusing on their heart, not simply in discipline, but in instruction and seeking to bring the scriptures to bear on those things. For teenagers, discipline will often become more creative and, and focused on that particular child. You know, that child refuses to do uh, their schoolwork or they, they lie about it. You know, there may be uh, other consequences such as being grounded from their phone or from other privileges or activities. Maybe there are chores that are assigned. We talked a little bit about that last week. Sometimes it's, it's proactively uh, adding things for them to do. Discipline often becomes the consequences of their poor and sinful decisions at this age. So that child who does not obey and go to bed and who wakes up the next morning and is exhausted and feels miserable, um, that is a natural consequence of that. Doesn't mean you just let them do whatever they wanna do, but it does mean that they are shifting into that realm where it is now the normal manner in which God has made his world to work that is functioning as consequences. Now our temptation as parents is to want to insulate our children from those consequences. So that child who didn't, who procrastinated on their school project 
and you find out about it at 9.30 on the night that it is due, and they haven't started, and they should have started three weeks ago. The tendency on our part is to go into overdrive, helping them pull something together so that they can you know, uh, have something to show for themselves because we think that's a reflection on us. And the right thing to do might be to say, bummer. <laughs> You're gonna have to go to class and have a really awkward presentation for a project that you didn't do. And that's the consequence of that. And, and there's natural consequences that we don't want to fully insulate. Them. Again, you can be kind and gracious and helpful, um, but our tendency as most parents is to, to try to keep them from experiencing the consequences that God says are a part of how we learn. You know, when do you transition from, from physical discipline to, to purely other means of discipline? I mean, I, I don't know that there's a magic answer for that with, or with uh, gonna depend on you and your kids, you know. We have all girls, and so it has been, my, my oldest is 10, it has been several years since I last spanked one of my daughters. They're, they're girls, and so I wanna be sensitive and careful in those ways, um, and I wanna treat them with respect in a way that does not give them any reason to feel uncomfortable. Um, you know, if I had a 10-year-old boy, I wouldn't have a problem probably spanking him, but I, I don't, so I can't really say that definitively. But, um, but those are things you have to sort through and think through as your kids age. Lastly, our discipline must be shaped by the gospel. And we'll talk more about this next time as it relates to instruction, but we, we've really already hit on this sum in the idea of discipline as a rescue mission. But we have to recognize that discipline is vital to your children's understanding the gospel. You think about what a child needs to understand, to understand the gospel. They need to understand authority, particularly God's. They need to understand sin and its consequences. They need to see themselves as a sinner who consistently struggles with sin. You know, discipline really gives the ideal context for talking with your children about the gospel. Shouldn't be the only time we talk with them about the gospel, but it gives an ideal context to rehearse the gospel over and over and over and over. Ted Tripp this, wrote this, I think I put it in your handout, that the central focus of child rearing is to bring children to a sober assessment of themselves as sinners. The focal point of your discipline and correction must be your children seeing their utter inability to do the things that God requires unless they know the help and strength of God. Discipline leads to the cross of Christ where sinful people are forgiven. You know, our culture really has this all wrong in that our culture wants to emphasize building children up to think highly of themselves. You see, what children need is to think rightly of themselves which is I am made in the image of God. There is a, an inherent value that I have because God made me and he made me the way he wants me. But the reality about me is also that I am utterly sinful and wicked. And that does not crush me in the sense that I am now depressed and despairing because God gives me hope. And that hope is not in me, that hope is in Christ who ultimately is the one who receives the glory. You know, most of us probably tend to one extreme or the other where we're like overly critical of our kids and, and fail to identify with their sinfulness and direct them to the hope of Christ. Or we just kind of wanna, wanna build them up and never help them see the realities of their own heart. 
Discipline is that balance. It's vital to your children understanding the gospel. It's also vital for your children experiencing the gospel. What do I mean by that? Not so much that it means they will embrace um, the gospel as we discipline, although I think it is helpful to that end as we'll talk in a moment, but it gives them a visible picture of the gospel. You see, discipline is an opportunity for them to experience grace in the truest sense of that word. You see, grace does not deny that sin matters and must be dealt with. Grace says that you are loved and accepted in spite of your sin, but it's not content to leave you in your sin. You see, it's not gracious if I see my child disobey and I ignore it. I can say to myself, I'm being gracious towards my child, but I'm not. I am, I am loving myself because I am choosing not to address something that is like a cancer in them. Grace says, I see your sin, I'm addressing your sin, but I'm going to continue to treat you with love and acceptance in spite of your sin. So when your kids know, my parents care about sin, they care about my disobedience, but they love me anyway, and we can, they can discipline me, and we can walk outside after that discipline, and my dad will throw a football with me, and we'll have fun joking around, laughing around, right after he's disciplined me. What does that communicate? Sin matters, but I, I love and accept you. That's, that's grace. It's a picture of the gospel. But if we fail to say sin matters, we undermine the gospel. But if we fail to love and accept sinners, we under, uh, undermine the gospel. It's vital for your children experiencing the gospel. It gives them a real picture of God's heart towards them as sinners. And it's also vital for your children embracing the gospel. What does scripture say? It says foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. They will not respond to the gospel because they are foolish. They will not submit to authority. They will not embrace the gospel apart from God's work in their heart. And a means that God uses to do that is discipline. Now, does that mean your kid won't be saved if you don't discipline them? No, God is, God is gracious and sovereign in drawing men to, and women to himself as he desires. But a normative means that God uses is the instrument of parents being faithful. And there is no better way for your kids to see their sin and to see the hope of Christ than for you and I to consistently discipline and train them in that way while drawing them and directing them towards the hope that is in Christ. So parents, bring your children up in the discipline of the Lord, training them intentionally and carefully. Now, if you haven't been doing this, if you have not been faithfully disciplining your kids, and I would say every time uh, I teach a parenting class, it's a reminder to me that I am not doing this as I ought to do this. Like we all need reminders and, and we get those in so many different ways. So it's not that you ever like get there where you're like, oh yeah, we, we nailed this. It's like, no, we're constantly having to come back and, and refocus and prioritize. But if you have, have truly been neglecting this, either because you did not know what God called you to do or because you just were, were um, distracted by life or you were intentionally not choosing to, uh, to do these things or you were just selfish, I would suggest that you not go home and you implement all of this this afternoon without talking to your children. I would suggest that you start with your own heart, consider these things, repent. If there's things you need to ask God's forgiveness for, do so. If there are things you need to ask your kid's forgiveness for, do so. You may go to your kid and say, you know what? I thought I was loving you in how I've been parenting you, 
But I was deceiving myself because I was really loving myself because I didn't want to address things that are an issue. And, and you may share some of the Proverbs that we've talked about. That I, I'm going to do this for you because what matters most is that I seek to rescue you from, from sin. Obviously, you've got to have that heart yourself. If you don't care about your own sin, you don't love Christ, you cannot direct your kids in this way. So you may need to repent and ask God's forgiveness. You may need to ask your kids forgiveness. You may need to begin explaining to your kids, here's what you can expect moving forward and why. And you may be a little more gracious in the training of them over time. So if it's been a long time since you disciplined your child and you see that oh, I, I need to do that, you may for a week <laughs> say, you know what, I'm not actually going to discipline you because I've been training you to disobey for a long time and that's more on me than it's on you. So I'm going to, for the next week, I'm going to point out to you the times that you will start to receive discipline so that you have an opportunity to grow and change. So this would be a time, son, when Next week, we, we would be going to the bathroom and I would be disciplining you because that's what God calls me to do. Now, I know we haven't done that and I know that hasn't been our pattern and so I wanna give you another chance to obey and I wanna help you to see what this looks like and I'm gonna work with you on that but then we are going to begin to practice the things that God calls us to. Again, there's, there's um, a lot of uniqueness to each of our families and children but God says, relatively simply to us, bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Certainly if you have thoughts or questions or, or things that we can help one another to think about in specific ways, we'd love to do that. Uh, I or others in, in, our, in our church or class, you know, just to interact with one another, here's the things we're dealing with. How do we keep battling for these things? It's not easy, but it is important. And we wanna continue to spur one another on to that end. So let's pray and uh, entrust ourselves to the Lord and then we'll be done for the day. Father, thank you for your word. We, we do come humbly just confessing our own inadequacy and our own shortcomings and sin in these areas. Lord, too often we respond to our kids' sin not because we love you, not because we love your glory, not because we care about our kids' eternity, but because their sin messes with our life. And Lord, Forgive us for our own anger and frustration. Forgive us for reacting more about us than about them and about you. Lord, I pray that you would give us grace and wisdom to be faithful to discipline our kids. And Lord, undoubtedly, we've all fallen short of this. I pray that we would be humble before our kids. I pray that we would be quick to uh, confess our own sin to them, to seek their forgiveness, and, and that you would help us to grow, to be faithful in these ways for your glory. Lord, and for the good of our children, we pray that, that you would use us by your grace to, as an instrument to, to see the foolishness driven out of our, our children's hearts, that they might be wise and that they might love you and be humble before you, growing into conformity to Christ. In his name we pray, amen.